Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Joel Heller. When the war in Iraq was headed toward Fallujah, the armed services were faced with a shortage of doctors. Dr. Richard Jaddick, author of the new book, On Call in Hell, is here today to tell us about his incredible experiences working as a surgeon in Iraq. Welcome, Dr. Jaddick. Well, thank you for having me. So, you're at Camp Lejeune doing your desk job. What happened to make you volunteer? When I kept seeing the emails going back and forth that there was no that the two doctors that were there were leaving for orders and weren't staying with the battalion, and they didn't have anybody in the battalion was getting you know, geared up to move pretty quickly. There were people I knew, and there were a lot of people I knew and friends, and I thought somebody needed to go, and I thought I had something that I could bring to the table. As far as experience, I just didn't want to leave them in a lurch. Let's talk a little bit about your experience. Before you went there, what were you doing at Lejeune? At Camp Lejeune, at that point, I was the 4th Marine Expeditionary Brigade, and basically it was a desk job. Prior to that, my experience was as a, I had done two years of really a general surgery residency. It was two years of, of straight general surgery with inclination to go into urology after that. That's That was the follow-on track, and, and I had spent a good three months up in uh, shock trauma in Baltimore, as well as a month down in the Washington Hospital Center in Washington, D.C. So I'd seen a lot of trauma by that point. On top of that, I had been a Marine. So tactically and medically, I thought with an infantry battalion, I had some knowledge that most of the doctors around didn't. As part of your training, you said you did some trauma training in Baltimore. Did you do any military stuff like C4, combat casualty care courses, that kind of stuff? Sure. I had done C4. I had done a medical service school, which is down at Camp Lejeune. I had done those courses, but those are more courses about how to, you know, live in the woods and, and be with the Marines as opposed to really seeing trauma. I think to, to really learn trauma, you have to see it. You know, the R. Adams Cowley up in Baltimore has a lot of it. So, you know, I had that opportunity to actually do the the three months of, you know, on call every third night and seeing plenty of trauma is what really prepared me more so than any of the, the military courses because I had already been a Marine. I'd been through basic school. I'd been through OCS. You know, I knew how to live in the woods. Okay, so they come, you volunteer, you're shipped, and then take us from there. I get shipped over, and uh, really the the deal was we were getting new doctors in July. Can you go and cover the battalion until we get some new doctors? And we'll replace you with two new battalion surgeons, which is what an infantry battalion rates. They they expect to have two physicians. They're not surgeons. They call them by title surgeons, but they're not surgeons. They are just one year out of internship, most of these guys. And when I showed up, they, they said, hey, in July, the end of July, we'll send you two guys, and then you can come home. Well, and as time wore on and I knew Fallujah was down the pike and the doctors weren't showing up, I knew what this meant, that it wasn't going to happen. And finally, they did send me one other doctor. But, you know, by then, the planning into Fallujah and the fact that they raided two and only had me at the time, and now they had two because I wasn't going anywhere. We sat up at the, at the Haditha Dam and, and got prepared for what was going to take place in Fallujah. And then Fallujah happens. Yes. One of the keys that that we did, and what I did with the corpsman, I guess one of the nice parts is being the only doctor there, you're the one who trains them and teaches them everything they know, and there's not any kind of decisions between the corpsman as to who knows and who's telling me the right stuff and who's not. It's all my plan. So we had trained 54 corpsmen, and we had been training for the entire four months that led up to Fallujah while we were doing combat patrols in Haditha and Rawa and Hit. And by the time we got to Fallujah, we had a, had a pretty solid team. 
And how far behind the front was the surgical hospital? It was a good five to six miles. Were you taking people out mostly by on ground or in the air? Everything was on ground. One of the things that we were told, you know, because of the small arms fire and the RPG threat, we had to, you know, we couldn't call in air. They really, the city is dense. It's very difficult to get air in to get evacuations out without setting yourself up for a Black Hawk Down scenario. So we were told before the the battle ever got underway that there would be no air. We always talk in, in the civilian world about the golden hour of trauma, but that tends to be more auto accident type of thing. And when you're talking about high caliber rounds, there's a slightly different time frame you got to deal with, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, to talk to Marines, you got to talk to them about the golden hour because that's what they understand. They've heard it. It makes sense to them. But it, it's really, it, I don't know if it's, it, it's relatively artificial. If somebody's shot and they're bleeding, you can stop that Marine from dying by very minimal intervention. However, if you worry about trying to get them out and it takes 15 minutes, they could bleed out in 15 minutes unless you had the experience and the personnel to actually do something to that Marine that would save their life. So, you know, 15 minutes is, you know, is really was my goal. I wanted to be able to get to every wounded Marine on the battlefield within 15 minutes. And we were pretty good. We could get to everybody within five to 10 minutes. We were that close. Could you tell us a little bit about the wounds you were seeing and exactly the amount of care and what you're able to do in that short time before you want to get them back to the hospital? The wounds we were seeing were certainly the, the, the body armor really was a help. And we, so we saw a lot of extremity wounds, specifically the life-threatening axillary wounds and the, and the groin wounds were the, were the ones that were really difficult to deal with. Uh, and we saw quite a few of those. But we learned how to deal with them with, with appropriate packing. When they came to us... Uh, you know, whether we had to go get them or the Marines just loaded them in a Humvee and dropped them off, you know, we were able to really stabilize, you know, 98 to 99% of the casualties, getting some Hespan to, in them to stop a lot of bleeding tourniquets and just basic stop the bleeding, you know, and how do you do that? Direct pressure and getting an IV started, getting them cleaned up, getting them bandaged, and then getting them out of there instead of trying to rush them out of there to a combat surgical hospital to deal with all this they were at least getting stabilized and treated. So what we're talking about actually is a very basic level of care that makes a tremendous amount of difference. It's fluids, it's pressure, it's isolating bleeders and maybe clamping them, assisting with airways, and then moving them on. Is that correct? Yeah, nothing Nothing we did out front was anything that you need to go through four years of medical school and, and eight years of residency for. You can, you can figure it all out pretty quickly. Yeah, it's just doing the ABCs. Uh, under uh, under maybe not the best conditions. Right, and knowing that there are a couple things you got to focus. You have to kind of put your put your security, your own safety in the hands of the Marines that are taking care of the security around you. And if you can do that and focus, you're going to save lives. You're going to do the right things. How did you cope in such a different environment than a normal OR? You make do with what you have out there. And I knew the situations that were coming in, and we dealt with them. We needed things and. Certain things would be a you know capability to to secure a surgical airway. So to have the tools ready and sitting on some sort of plate was going to benefit me because I could just look down and say you know just like we do in the OR. Well, not having st- stainless steel, not having the things that you have in the operating room, we went out and found some old plates. I'm not even sure if one of them wasn't an old tire hubcap that we washed and then draped with towels, and nothing was sterile. So it wasn't, you know, they say sterile gauze, but it was just a clean towel that we had, and at least we had them available. 
imagine that dealing with infection was a constant challenge. We negated or tried to negate infectious rates by keeping things clean, but with all the dust and the wounds were all dirty, our big thing was giving everybody a gram of ANSEF or an antibiotic as soon as they came in. During your first day of combat, you had to set up a triage unit in an Iraqi government prayer room in the heart of Fallujah. Using that little prayer room we're able to do was, and this sounds so trivial, but the door was in the center of the prayer room so I could get four stretchers into either side without getting in the way of anybody else. And that was a godsend. But, you know, we used that prayer room. We we first walked in, we we scrubbed it down as best we could, before, which was about an hour before we started taking casualties, and we put cinder blocks in there that we found in the rubble to set the step stretchers up on. And, you know, at, at night we worked by flashlight or we had an overhead light, but we'd turn that on and off depending on what kind of insurgents we knew were hiding in the area and, and might see that light and, and the concerns of that light. So it became a very eerie little room. When they talk about it being an emergency room. It really had nothing that resembled an emergency room. Except there were emergencies. Except there were emergencies. And after every set of casualties that came in, there was a great need to, to wash it. I mean, and, and there was always blood on the floor. And there was always blood on everybody's uniforms. As a doctor in a war zone, how did you wrestle with the Hippocratic Oath? Everything to me was an algorithm, and the algorithm was, what am I going to do when faced with that situation? And I knew the answer. And, you know, I was with a squad of Marines, and my job was, you know, I, I covered corners, and I never had to shoot anybody, and I never killed anybody myself. However, Marines killed people because they were looking to kill me. And, and my job is to go out there and save lives. And whether they're Marines, insurgents, or civilians, I, I did the best that we could do with what we had for each and every group. And for me to do my job required me to have security and for me to protect myself and my patients, and I was okay with that. Did you care for any insurgent or civilians at your aid station? Oh, yeah. Lots of them. At least as many as I did Marines. Civilians, and then there were the ones that were insurgents, which was more in the numbers of 50 for this for the insurgents but they were every wounded insurgent that came in we saw and, and actually we saw most of them who you know anyway just to make sure that they were being treated right and i will say that the unit i was with was a very disciplined unit and i never saw any mistreatment did a, did a nice job of trying to keep their emotions out of it on occasion you could see the frustration in, in our guys eyes but i never saw them and i i saw the prisoners or before they got moved back to the rear i saw them every Four or six hours we were required to go see him. So we did. I did treat insurgents. You know, like I, I say it, if I treat an insurgent who's trying to become a martyr and I make him live, then I've punished him in my own right. So it was okay. Did treating the enemy even phase you? No. It was my job. I, I try to treat everybody like a, like a human being. At first, I, I don't know. I'm not judge and jury. So this patient before me may be not quite an insurgent, maybe just a civilian in the wrong place at the wrong time. I'm not going to make that judgment. My job is to stay focused and to treat injuries, and that's what I did. I never came up against a situation where I had to make a choice between a Marine and an Iraqi insurgent, you know, who I was going to treat first. That never happened, and uh, I'm thankful that it didn't. So, Rich, what do you think the biggest challenge was while you were over there? The biggest challenge, you know, well, that's a, that's a tough one. There's a lot of challenges to overcome. My biggest challenge was just being able to coordinate 54 young corpsmen to do the right thing. I don't, and I say a challenge because when, they, when, I got, when we first got there together, we didn't know each other at all. It was a long but short, intense process to get them to where they needed to be for Fallujah. And each one of them stepped up to the plate like, 
you couldn't imagine a group of guys working better. And you know, and they're the reason for the success. They all stepped up to the plate. But the initial challenge of getting them there was was trying at times. So now you're back practicing at home. Do you feel bad about not being over there while we're still taking casualties? Yeah, absolutely. Every day I get the reports of what's going on. And, you know, like everybody else, I see Marines and sailors and soldiers getting killed. And, and it, you know, it, it's like sitting on the sidelines of the football game and not playing. I miss the camaraderie. I miss that, that brotherhood under arms. That is an amazing feeling, but it's also an amazing feeling to be home with your family every night and see your daughter every day. Our thanks to Dr. Richard Jaddick for sharing his story with us today. His book, On Call in Hell, will be in stores March 7th. This has been the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 233, the channel for today's medical professional. There's another great segment coming up. Please stay tuned.